Let's turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 7. Dan, thank you so much for, for doing that and making that happen. I, I had no idea that anything was happening this morning, so that was a, uh, a very special surprise. I thank you for that. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul is aware that God is using him, and he says, I am what I am by the grace of God. And as I hear those compliments, or rather read those, I'm encouraged. I want you all to feel that way. I want to serve in such a way that, um, that you all feel that way. But as I know you know, um, were it not a, for God and his great grace toward me, and us, none of that would be true. So, all glory to God and praise to Him. I'm thankful for Jesus and His Lordship over my life and heart. And I speak for, for Joe and Jake when we say uh, we love you all and thank you for loving us. Um, and, and Dan, I, you know, pastor appreciation does need to be more than one month out of the year. <laughs> but, but really and truly, this church is, is wonderful at that. I feel appreciated all year long. I feel loved and supported all year long. And so uh, it's a little bit of icing on the cake for y'all to do, go above and beyond in October. Um, but thank you all. Thank you so much. I also do want to say, and I, I try to say this as often as I can, but uh, I, I would not be anything of, of what I am or what I do were it not for my wife, Valeria. Um, She's the one who, who keeps me in, in position and in line and given the opportunity, and she does such a good job with our children that it frees me up to, to serve well in the church and in the community. And so I'm thankful for Valeria. Thank you. And hopefully we'll do some more of this tonight. Looking forward to that. All right, Mark chapter 7. We come to a passage that is uh, a rather heavy one, not from how, how, how boldly he's speaking, but rather the heaviness of what he's saying. And I said last week in my sermon that I wanted, or that I had considered preaching all this together, but I decided not to. And so what I'm going to preach today in verses 14 through 23 is just the continuing of what has already been said in 1 through 13. Jesus is going to start talking about our heart. He's going to start talking about all of us and what our problem is, is our heart. And this is a big deal. And this is, if you don't know this or believe this already, if you're not convinced of this or convicted of this already, then perhaps life is still puzzling to you at times. Perhaps you still shake your head wondering why things are the way they are, wondering why people are the way they are, or even wondering why you are the way you are. And so I hope that today, in our next few minutes, that you will hear from Jesus that you are your biggest, you are your biggest problem. More specifically, your biggest problem is your heart. This is what the Bible teaches. This will solve a whole lot of trouble and worry and confusion in your life. If you will come to believe what Jesus says, you are your biggest problem. Everything in the Bible is pointing us to understanding this, that life is about God. Life's about God. It's about His glory. Okay? And the reason why 
we aren't good at understanding that, living that, worshiping Him, living for His glory, is because our hearts do not understand that. They do not believe that. And so most people don't even know that life's about God and about His glory. But even for those that do, they've heard it somewhere, or some Bible teacher has taught them that, their heart doesn't get that, feel that, understand. Their heart is not made up of, I want my life to be about God and His glory. And so their life is a really a, a budding heads, a, a striving against the grain, if you will, that life's about God. And so today I want us to see that. And I want you to feel convicted that you need to get your heart right. Today I don't want you leaving here at all thinking about what you need to do better. Okay, I don't want to end the service today at noon and you think you need to go out and change this or change that or do more or do less or, or that sort of thing. Uh, today, I want you not at all thinking about what you do, but I want you to take a few steps further, look inside, don't worry about anybody else, and search your heart. We just sang, oh God, search my heart. We want God to search our heart. We want you to see where your heart is. This is what Jesus is saying. And really, we're not really good at doing that, are we? We automatically default to what we do. Are we a good person or are we not? Have we been doing well or are we not? Are we lazy? We need to do better. Do we need to work harder? Do we need to work less, right? All we know to think about naturally is what we're doing. And I'm wanting us to get to the heart, the heart of it. Let me give you a, an example of how it is to figure out the heart. And this illustration works really well for me. One of my family's favorite places to go eat is Moe's. It's one of those like Mexican places where you go through the line and you pick out what you want in your burrito and they fill it up and then you come. And, and, and we like to eat there. My children like to eat there. And on Mondays they have a special price and so we go there a lot on Mondays. But for our little baby girl, Liliana, who's about a year and a half now, she doesn't eat burritos yet, soon enough, hopefully. But what she does eat is black beans, okay? So when we go through the line, Val doesn't like black beans on her burrito, so we'll say, can we have the black beans on the side, okay? So we'll get the black beans on the side, and we'll sit down, and we'll, we'll put a bib on her, and we'll just lay a bowl of black beans in front of her. Well, that is extremely messy. Black beans everywhere on her, in her hair, all over the table. Black beans all over the floor. And when we get to the end of the meal, I'm usually frustrated with how messy our table is, thinking we need to clean this up. They're going to be mad at us. I have to go ask, do you have a broom? And black beans are so messy. Sometimes I have to ask, do you have a rag or do you have a mop? You know, we need to clean this up. It's so messy. There'll be food all over the place. I don't know if you've ever been out to eat with five children before, but you can absolutely ruin a table in a restaurant with how much food gets on the floor and all over the place. It's messy. <laughs> it's bad. And then, every once in a while, we get to go to Texas Roadhouse right down the road. And I love taking the kids to Texas Roadhouse because, you know, they put peanuts on the table. And all of a sudden, I'm just like, Carolina, watch this. Right? You can throw the peanut shells on the floor at Texas Roadhouse. And the kids are like, what are you doing? And I said, well, you're allowed to throw your peanut shells on the floor. So I'm like, pop one open, eat some, throw them on the floor. Throw them on. Next thing you know, the kids are like, I love it. <laughs> Throwing them everywhere. And so, once they start doing it too much, I turn and I say, stop. 
Stop throwing them on the floor. And they said, well, you just told us that we could throw them on the floor. I say, well, you can throw them on the floor. And they're like, okay. And I said, well, stop throwing them on the floor. Well, you said you could throw them on the floor. Well, you can throw them on the floor, but you can't throw them on the floor. You see, there's our, there's our dilemma. And while kids are trying to figure out peanuts on the floor at Texas Roadhouse, you're trying to figure out what you can and can't do in life. And the issue, I'm telling you folks, is not so much what you're doing and what you're not doing. It's the heart behind what you're doing and what you're not doing. Some people need to be set free to throw the peanuts on the floor. The server's gladly going to sweep them up. Some, te- some people are taking advantage of that and doing it from the wrong motive, and they need to stop throwing peanuts on the floor, right? The answer is not yes or no to peanuts on the floor. The answer is why are you throwing the peanuts on the floor? Where's your heart? And this is what God wants us to do. How many times have I been asked, is smoking wrong? Is cussing wrong? Is it wrong to get a tattoo? Are you going to go to hell if this has happened? Are you going to go to hell if this has happened? Are you going to go to heaven if you've done this? People ask these questions all the time. And I have to say every time, well, it depends. Tell me more about it. Where's your heart? Why are you doing that? Why are you even asking that? Jesus wants you to understand this. And we are failing as Christians and as a church if we are still talking to people about the what you do, what you don't do, what you do, and leaving it at that. We've got to get to the heart of the matter. Read with me, if you will, at Mark chapter 7, verses 14 to 23. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, And understand, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart but his stomach? And is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. Man, it's serious, isn't it? At first, you just thought he was talking about the heart until he starts listing all the evil things we do and says, that came off your heart. And as soon as I read verses 21 and 22 and 23, I'm, I'm troubled with myself. I feel dirty. And I don't need to wash my hands or take a bath. I need to wash my heart. And yet I'm confused at that point because I don't know how to wash my heart. I can't get a washcloth inside of me. I need someone else to wash my heart, and that is Jesus, 
The Bible makes very clear that it is only through the sacrifice of Jesus and him shedding his blood that we could be clean. It is only by the blood of Christ, meaning Jesus dying for you, that your heart can be made right. Today I want to give you three points. One, our great need for understanding. Our great need for understanding. Number two, our need to understand our problem. Our need to understand our problem. And then number three, our need to understand the solution. Our need to understand the solution to our problem. Number one, our great need for understanding. Jesus, in verse 14, gathers the people up and and tries to further explain. He's trying to clarify now all that he's already said. And he says, hear me, all of you, and understand. Jesus says, you have a great need to understand. Now, what's he talking about understanding? Well, he's getting to the heart of the problem. But remember last week what he had just talked about? Here's the situation that he ran into in verses 1 through 13. The Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, have observed that Jesus' disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. And it is one of their rules, the tradition of the elders, that you have to wash your hands before you eat because your hands are dirty. And therefore, you are dirty if you haven't washed your hands. And Jesus' people don't do that. So they raise the question to Jesus and say, why don't you wash your hands before you eat? Don't you know that you're breaking the rule that our elders have, the, the leaders in our religion? Don't you know they're bre- you're breaking their rule? And Jesus says, y'all are hypocrites. Literally, that's what he says down there in verse 6. He says, you're hypocrites. He says, You are taking the rule of man and elevating it above the commandment of God. You've confused that. You understand the commandments of God, but you've also got rules of man in your life, and you've you've got those backwards. There are things, listen to me, there are things in your life that are more important to you than God's rules, God's word, God's truth. And this makes you totally flawed. This means you don't understand that life's about God. And they didn't understand it. So in verse 14, he says, y'all come here. And he called the people to him again. He said, listen to me. Hear me, all of you, and, and understand. Jesus is addressing that you need to understand. This is what the Bible is wanting us to see. You have this language throughout. In Romans 3, the passage that we read in our New Testament reading here just a few minutes ago that Austin read, that's the passage that talks about how sinful we are, nobody's good, nobody's righteous, all of that. In the very beginning, the very first statement, verse 10, says, no one understands. No one understands. Now, this is not so much like a, you have to be educated or you have to be intellectual or you have to have read enough or something like that to get that. that that's not what this is at all. This is a spiritual thing. We're not talking about a, a, a material or physical type of understanding like, well, well I've been to church or, or, or like I've got good parents. We're not talking about We're talking about a spiritual thing. We're talking about what's wrong with you morally, not outwardly. And so it's possible for you to know how to do things really well, be a hard worker, good at saving money, obey your teachers well, that sort of thing, and yet still not understand that things are about your heart. It's not what you do, but why you do what you do, and still be flawed. You need to understand this. One commentator says the very same person who is quick and clever in worldly things will often utterly fail to comprehend 
the simple truths of Christianity. The Bible says nobody gets to heaven except through Jesus. The only way. And that's not complicated. And yet, go ask somebody today down the street, you think you're going to heaven? Well, I hope so. I mean, I've been trying to do good. And they're going to tell you that every time you talk to them, and it's like they don't understand. And the Bible has us longing for understanding. Psalm 119.34, give me understanding, the psalmist cries, that I may obey you. What a thought. Obeying God is not something that is just based off your choice to obey or not. Now, sometimes we can deduct it to just that, but it's not always. Here, he says, give me understanding, God, that I would learn to obey you. Psalm 119.34. What about Psalm 119.73? Give me understanding, God, that I may learn your ways. The ways of God are not natural to man. The ways of your own life are natural to you. What you prefer, how you were raised, what your influences are, that's what's natural to you. And so the psalmist in 119.73 asks God, God, give me understanding. It is foolish for you to think that you understand naturally. It is wise for you to say, I don't, I don't understand. Do you remember in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, that great passage that talks about the new birth, being born again, where Jesus says you must be born again in that passage. And he comes to him at night and he says, Teacher, we know that you're from God. Nobody could teach the way you do if they weren't from God. And he starts talking to him about eternal life in heaven, and Jesus says you must be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't understand. He says, well, what are you saying? I could go back to my mom's belly. I've got to be born again. What, what do you mean? Jesus says, I'm telling you, you've got to be born again. You're, you're never going to see the kingdom of God unless you be born again. And what Jesus means is you need a new heart. You need to understand that life's about God because right now you don't. And Nicodemus says a few more things, but then Jesus says this. Almost like a, he can't believe it. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, are you a teacher of the people of Israel, you're a leader of Jewish people. You hold the Bible in your hand and think you know it. And Jesus says, are you a teacher of the people of Israel, yet you don't understand the things of God? It's the very point I'm trying to make. A very religious man. A man who is very committed to doing right, not doing wrong. A man who's very committed to trying to obey God. And Jesus just says to him, by the very question you're asking me, I know you don't understand. It's not at all about what you're doing and what you're not doing. It's about your heart behind what you're doing, what you're doing. And until you come to understand this, listen, folks, you don't understand. You don't understand life. And if you don't understand life, you certainly don't understand God. Having the eyes of God and the understanding of God is the pathway to understanding life. Life is frustrating until we know that it is about God. Just this week, I sat in the parking lot with a man who had recently just gotten out of jail, been in jail two different times, and before he went in jail, he was doing bad things. He got out of jail and said, I'm a, he got in jail and said, I'm going to get my act together, was going to church in jail, was reading the Bible, got out of jail and started doing the same bad things again. After that, again, he got arrested again, went back into jail, got out of jail again, in jail, reading the Bible, in jail, talking to people, in jail, going to church, in, in jail, got out of jail, uh, jail again, and now he's come to church, and we're sitting down talking. I'm helping him and doing all that. And yes, guess what he says? Sitting right there in the front parking spot on the bench. Guess what he says? I don't understand why I keep doing this. 
when I'm in a good spot and I can't do the bad things, I'm aware that I shouldn't be doing that. And yet when I get out, I come back and I keep doing the things that I wish I wasn't doing. I don't understand why I keep doing this. This is my whole point. I know you don't understand. And until he comes to realize that life's about God and his need for a new heart, he's not going to understand. You ever noticed how people are often in a cycle of life? You ever notice the cycle? It's because what we keep telling us will fix our problem doesn't fix it. It doesn't fix it. You don't understand. You need a new heart. I remember years ago, I met this man who was extremely wealthy, extremely wealthy. And he, he kind of uh, became my friend, and we spent a little bit of time together, not too much. He was, he was very wealthy. He was actually the owner of the, of the boat on the river where you go and gamble the casino. He owned it, made about a million dollars a day on that boat. And we became close. He's since passed away. And one day while we were hanging out, he was overwhelming me with all of his wealth and his possessions and all the stuff that he had and was showing me his watch collection and some stuff like that. And Out of nowhere, he kind of blindsided me. He turned to me with tears in his eyes and said, Josh, how come I can't be happy? I've tried everything that there is to be happy. I've got more money than I need. I've got every single thing that I could possibly want. I've hung around with all of these different people. He had just showed me a couple pictures of him with Julia Roberts and Michael Jordan and Muhammad Ali. He said, there's nobody that I can't hang around with. Why am I not happy, Josh? It's a real simple answer, y'all. He doesn't understand what life's about. Life's not about watch collections or money. Life's not about stuff. It's not. Life is about God. And he understands nearly, let's just say 90, 95, 99% of life really well. But the main thing is that life's about God. And so if he doesn't understand life's about God, none of this other stuff makes sense. Bank account piled up, owning all these things, hanging around with big people, even trying to invest in a young man like he was trying to with me. None of that stuff worked. He was still left crying, talking to me. Why don't I understand what he felt? Folks, life is about God. And we have this great need to understand that. And I don't know what your problems are here today, but I'm telling you that your great problem is your failure to understand that. And that starts in the heart. My second point is our need to understand our problem. That being the heart. If you look here in the passage, at verse 15, Jesus says, There's nothing outside of a person that but going into him can defile him. The things that come out of a person are what defile him. Jesus is just saying to those, Hey, listen, I don't know what's going on outside of you. I don't know if you've got black beans spread all over you and in your hair, but that's not your problem. That's not why life's not working out for you. And I know that y'all have to wash your hands before you go and do your stuff. And I'm telling you, washing your hands is not helping you morally. It's not forgiving you of your sins. It's not welcoming you into God's presence. It's not keeping you from God's presence. It's not what's going on on the outside. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying it's what's on the inside. Verse 17, when he had entered the house and left the people and his disciples asked him about the parable, he said to them, then are you also without understanding? So His disciples didn't understand either. 
Notice, y'all, that this, this problem that we have with our heart is not just some people. It's not those people raised over there on that side of a town that are just really messed up over there and, you know. No. It's not those people over here that, that don't have good families and they just can't catch a break and, it, and it's just this cycle of poverty and ignorance. Whatever. No. It's, it's you right here. It's me. It's, it's my children. It is every human being everywhere that has this huge problem that we do not understand that life's about God because we have not dealt with and been honest that our heart is the problem. Jesus says, do y'all not get this? Look at him. He says, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not into his heart? There's the issue, the heart. It enters into his stomach, and once food gets into your stomach, it will quickly be expelled, he says. Thus, he declared all foods clean. Now, I'm not preaching on that, but please hear me. All foods are clean. As a believer, you can eat whatever you want to. Now, be wise. Don't be a junk food junkie, and don't cause yourself to be unhealthy, but there's not anything that you eating in and of itself that is wrong for you. All foods are clean and clear, okay? Verse 20. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Wow. Your problem is what's coming out of you, both word or deed. What you're doing, what you're saying is your problem. But he takes it a step further. He says, the reason why that's your problem, what's defiling you, is because the things, the things that we say or do are not just coming out of our actions. We don't do things just because for no reason. We don't say things just because for no reason. They have come off of our heart. On the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 15, it says this, What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This defiles a person. And I remember the first time that I really got that, it bothered me so much. Folks, I say things that I should not say. And I cannot just dismiss it, well, whoops, I didn't mean to. It came from somewhere. It came from a feeling or a thought or a problem inside of me. I remember when I was about 18 years old, I was spending some time with somebody that I really, really, really admire and look up to. They are truly one of my heroes. And I had upset him and frustrated him. And so he says to me, angry and loud, something mean and harsh that had the F word in it. He said it to me. This was a hero of mine. He, he, he yelled a, a statement at me that had the F word in it. I still remember this now, 18 years ago. And I remember that got me wondering. Now, it was my fault that I had upset him. But there are some nicer, calmer, smoother ways to deal with somebody who upsets you. It got me wondering. I did not know that he talked like that. It, to this day, is the only time I've ever heard him say the F word. One time I've ever heard it. I didn't know he talked like that. It got me wondering, does he talk like that a lot? Or was that the first time? Was that the only time? It got me wondering, does he talk like that more when I'm not around? Or does he just try to guard that when I am around? Does he talk that way to other people? Does he talk that way to his wife? Because it hurt me that day. I could only imagine how a wife would feel if a man talked to her that way. 
It got me wondering, what does he talk like that for? But then it got me wondering, where'd that come from? Because if you're not used to using the F word, it usually doesn't roll off your tongue so easily. It's hard to say a word you've never said before. It got me wondering, where, where did that word come from? J.C. Ryle, the great Puritan commentator, says, Thoughts are the parents of words and deeds. Hmm. Thoughts are the parents of words and deeds. See, a lot of times we think we're doing well because we bit our tongue or we stopped an action. But God is fully aware of every thought that we have. He goes on to say that the wickedness of men is often attributed to bad examples bad company, peculiar temptations, or the snares of the devil, it seems forgotten that every man carries within him a fountain of wickedness. We need no bad company to teach us. We don't need the devil to tempt us in order to run into sin. We have within us the beginning of every sin under heaven. Folks, here's what I'm wanting you to hear today. You need to understand our problem. Our biggest problem is not what we do. Our biggest problem is our inability to understand why we do what we do. Your problem is not the way you talk or how you act. Those are problems. But your problem is that you don't understand why you're talking and acting that way. You don't understand that your heart is sinful. Jeremiah 17.9 says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Our problem is our heart and we just don't get it. This should be of a great concern to us. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, we have that great statement that God does not look at the outer. God looks at the heart. God is not so much concerned with what you're saying and what you're doing, right? But rather, God is concerned with why you are saying what you're saying and doing what you're doing. Our problem is our heart and you need to understand this look back at our passage here verse 20 what comes out of a person is what defiles him and then look at this verse 21 and this is the 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 great thing that hits us so heavily for from within out of the heart of man come evil thoughts sexual immorality theft murder Adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within. Is that not absolutely contrary to what you have been taught or trained to think? You think that it's just because of who you hang around that's your problem? Or because you were raised not knowing any better. You ever seen what happens to parents who try to shelter their kid and shelter their kid and shelter their kid. And they try to guard them from every single bad or sinful evil thing. You ever seen what happens there? 
You ever seen a parent try to shelter a kid so very much they don't want them to ever to see anything and watch what grows up and see how absolutely wild and rampant and crazy and rebellious they can be? It's because even though we try to keep all the sin away from somebody, it's really hard to keep the sin away from their heart. It comes from within. The Bible teaches us that we are born sinful, and so we grow up sinning. There are some people who say that we're not born sinful, and then we just, we're born kind of neutral, and then let's see if we sin. But every single person out of every single person out of the history of the world has always been sinning. As soon as we can, we will. Because we are. Because of our hearts. Let me say it again. Our biggest problem is not what we do, but rather our inability to understand why we do what we do. Your problem is your heart. We may think that sex or foul-mouthed or theft or murder or whatever it is is just something we do, and we don't we love to hear people say it all the time? That, that's not really who I am. Well, it's more of who we are than we even realize because it came from somewhere deep. The solution, folks, is not for you to, to shake your head and say, well, I, I know that the Bible says I'm sinful, but I'm, I'm not that bad. The solution, guys... It's for you to admit, Jesus is right. Boy, he's hit me spot on. My heart is a problem. My third and final point is our need to understand the solution. God tells us that we need to understand. We have a great need for understanding. We have a need to understand our problem. And then lastly, we have a need to understand the solution. We need to understand the solution. Jesus here has said that all of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So I'm here today not just saying that the bad things that we do are what make us sinful, but rather the heart behind the bad things are what make us sinful. And so whether you haven't done anything in this list in the last couple days or really ever in your life or whatever, we all still have this same heart problem. And sometimes it is outwardly really, really problematic, and we know that. Many of you all right now are suffering under the consequences of some of these horrible things that we do. And some of you all are thinking, you know what? Life's been going pretty good for me. Been been doing well, been trying to obey. And yet all of us have the same problem of being defiled on the inside. We have a sin problem. We are uh, there's a problem with our hearts. And so what is the solution? And this is where I want to turn you to what the Bible teaches. If you know where Ezekiel is, turn to Ezekiel 36. If you don't, no problem. You can just listen up. Ezekiel is a major prophet in the Old Testament. But I want, to, I want to read this to you. This is God addressing how he will handle this heart problem. If you've never heard this before, then this is going to be a huge eye-opener to you. If you're longing for understanding, and if you agree with Jesus that your heart is the problem. If you long for understanding that life's about God, and if you agree with Jesus that your heart is the problem, this right here is going to change your life if you believe the Word of God. I'm talking about our need to understand the solution. So what is the solution? It's not to go and do better because as soon as you do better, you've done nothing with your heart. Doing better is just changing the words and the deeds. It doesn't change the heart. 
But as I said in my opening, I don't know how to change my heart. Exactly right. If you are admit, it, it, it coming to the conclusion right now, well, I kind of like what you're saying, Josh, but I don't know how to change my heart, then you are on the right path to understanding. We need God to change our hearts. Read with me in Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 16. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. You see that? There's the problem. They are sinful with the way they talk and the way they live. Okay? So how do you fix it? And it is not stopping doing that. Listen. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name, and that people said of them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name. Yes, God does always, always, always have concern for his holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Look at verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. Now God is going to do something about their sinfulness, not so much for them as he is for his sake. God's name is being ruined, and he is going to make sure that does not, <clears throat> he's going to make sure that does not, not happen. So what's he going to do? How's he going to fix it? Which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. Verse 23. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. Okay? So God is saying he's going to cleanse them of all of their words and deeds. How's he going to do it? Look at verse 26. If you underline, underline. If you highlight, highlight. If you tear out pages and store them up forever, tear it out. Get verse 26. And I will give you a new heart. Does everybody see that? I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. Notice that in Mark he said, your problem is within you. So if you're going to have a solution to the problem, it's got to happen within you. Look here, verse 26, I'll put a, give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. We have a great need for understanding, our need to understand our problem, and a huge need to understand the solution. Here's what I'm saying. If you are here today convicted in your sins and willing to admit that you have sinned, I want you to hear that's because of your heart. But I want you to hear that in God's great love, he sent his son Jesus to die for your sins, take the punishment for your sins. And if we will turn to him, God will respond and forgive us. And in that happening, what God is doing is taking out your sin problem, which is your heart, and replacing it with a new living heart that loves God. This is the solution. 
For you to say, God, my problems are within. And to ask God to fix it on the inside. Which means we're not telling you to go and fix it on the outside. Rather, if you would turn to Jesus, God fix your heart on the inside, guess what? The new heart will start to fix what's the problem on the outside. Our message is not clean up the outside. Our message is God cleans up the inside, and when he cleans up the inside, it starts cleaning up the outside. This is where the need for understanding is huge. Because we've got people all over the world and all over the state and all over the city and all over Fairdale who are good folks that make good decisions and they're trying to influence people well. And so they tend to just conclude that we're trying to accomplish the same thing and we're not. Yes, we want people to clean up the outside. And yes, we want people to act right and do the right thing. And yes, we want people to make good decisions and all of that. But our reason for how we get there could not be more different. And for all of the difference makers in the community who serve well and lead well and make an impact and all of that, when it comes to the end of the day and heaven or hell and escaping the judgment and getting the root of the problem fixed, there is only one answer, and it is found right here in the truth of the Word of God for the work that Jesus has done on the cross. If you will come to Christ believing He died for your sins, Jesus will save you and change your life. And He does that by giving you a new heart. What has happened to me in my life, which began when I was a teenager, is not nearly so much the product of good people and good church and good influencers and good leaders and all of that, which there are plenty of those who have intended uh, well and meant well and done well for me. But I am absolutely convinced that what has happened in my life, that happens in the life of the believer, is that God changed my heart. And so when those good influencing, leading people started to influence me then, the rest was history. They were influencing the new heart God had given me instead of influencing the heart where all of that other stuff comes out. Many a people have thought they've come to Christ but they never got a new heart. And now they're confused on why they don't understand life. Understanding life is understanding God. And understanding God is understanding your problem is not what you do, but really why you do what you do. And then running to the solution saying, God, I need a new heart. This is why I love to do ministry with people that are just absolutely Rock bottom and hurting. You know, if you work with somebody whose life is absolutely falling apart, out of control, ruined, and miserable, the first thing they'll tell you is, I've, I've messed up the whole thing. My, my life is such a mess, it's beyond repair. I hear people say it all the time. And you know what? They're closer to the kingdom than all of your friends that wash their hands and take a bath and make sure their lives are clean. I'm serious about this. You talk about who's closer to the kingdom. It's whoever's aware how problematic their heart is. You find me a good, clean, polished person who is trying to argue that their heart's not bad, I'll show you somebody that's nowhere near the kingdom. And so I love prison ministry. What might you tell somebody 
who doesn't have a chance to get out and clean it up. Many people are in prison for life. Many people are there awaiting death. Many people know they're never getting out. What might you tell them? Is there an answer? Absolutely there's an answer. I just got two I want to share with you here. Testimonies from an inmate in prison for life. Quote, I was a sinner. I was out there on the path of destruction. I was lost in my wicked ways. And I thank God he got my attention by bringing me here and putting me in captivity. Amen. Because he's becoming aware of his problem through the ministry that's teaching him. What about this one? This is a man who was sitting down talking about how now that he's in prison, he no longer can be with his family, and that bothers him so much, and he misses his wife, and he misses his children, yet he's in prison. Listen to this. I thank God that he used them and my family and me not being able to see them. I thank God that he used the prison system by me being confined here and recognizing my love for my family and me not being able to be there with them to break me, to get me to the point where I am broken and contrite, where nothing else matters now but getting right with God. I pray it doesn't take prison for you to recognize your problem is your heart, and the solution is for God to give you a new heart. I hope it doesn't take prison. But in all honesty, I pray that it takes something for you to recognize you need a new heart. You need to come to Jesus and not say, God, help me do better. Help me act right. But begin with God, change me deep down fundamentally from the inside out lord change my heart if you're here today and you need to get right with god let's do it and hear the word of christ let's pray father thank you thank you god for the clear teaching of jesus that it's not what we're doing it's our heart. Jesus was baffled at them worrying about washing hands and being right with God. And Father, I pray that we would address our hearts and run to you. Lord, lead us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.